What's going on, everybody? TGIF. Happy Friday to, to everybody out there. Long work week. I know I had one for sure. Definitely a long work week. Shout out to all my coworkers. We made it through uh, to any of them that are listening to this podcast. But welcome to uh, the second edition of How Wrong Was I? Uh, the little short version of two episodes of podcast where uh, I dig di- I dig deep. Uh, we go back to June, July when I gave uh, divisional recaps for all of the NFL teams and all of the divisions and where I thought everyone would fall. Uh, as well as I told you guys, and I keep my promises, I'm going to take a look at some of these prospects coming out of college and kind of see where they fit, how they look in terms of what they are. Uh, and the ones that I picked are not uh, big names, huge names. They're not number ones in their classes in terms of all the people on the NFL media, uh, everybody releasing everything that they have to think or say about each prospect, which is what Combine Week's all about. Uh, the exposure, the fact that everybody's opinions are going to come out. You've got everybody uh, in terms of the upper management, uh, front staff, front office, anything that any word you want to use to describe it uh, from all the 32 NFL teams showing up to the combine. And they're going to look at these draft prospects because there's a potential that this dra- these draft prospects uh, and these players that are working out this week or even not working out this week are going to change your, your organization moving forward. So we'll take a look at a few. Uh, thank you so much for everyone out there sharing the podcast via word of mouth, sharing the podcast via social media. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Uh, and to all the new listeners out there, I'm Cole Haight. This is the All In Man Cave podcast. Let's hop right into it. Uh, let's start talking about some of these co- uh, these combine prospects. Uh, there's a lot of, of players out there, and I'm not going to have a, a, a three-hour podcast uh, today, and we're going to talk about every single person from every single position. Uh, but if somebody jumped out at me, I wrote it down. Uh, I took a look at uh, the position groups offensively, basically, uh, the position groups. Uh, there's a lot of defense. We can talk about some of those uh, at a later podcast, honestly. Uh, but we're going to focus on offense uh, in this podcast, obviously, today. But uh, let, let's start with Traylon Burks. And I, I love Traylon Burks, uh, wide receiver out of Arkansas. He's got the the height. Uh, he's got the, the the dynamic aspects of being a football player that I 100% back, uh, especially when I'm looking at somebody that I'm going to be drafting in the draft. So uh, 6'3", 225, he's, he's made improvements every year at Arkansas uh, based on his production on the field. Uh, off the field issues, red flags seem to be non-existent. This guy is a workhorse. Uh, the, the comp right now, the closest person that I think in the NFL that he has the potential to be at a high ceiling is Debo Samuel. And this man can be anything you need him to be on the football field. He's proven that at Arkansas. He can return kicks. He can return punts. He's good, basically, based on those two comments, he's good on special teams. Uh, as well as the fact that he can run the football and he's explosive and he's big. So uh, he's bigger than Debo. So the, here, the, I think he's got a decent chance uh, to come in and rock somebody's world, uh, especially since there's a lot of eyeballs right now on wide receivers coming out of Ohio State this year, uh, whether it be Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave. Uh, there's a lot of hype coming out of the, the, the Ohio State camp uh, about their potential prospects at wide receiver. And listen, I, I, I like those players. Uh, I like Chris Olave. I absolutely like Garrett Wilson, 
but but I think their upside is a little bit lower than some of the prospects that are maybe from between four and ten uh, versus one through three. Uh, there's a lot of stuff, and we'll talk about another wide receiver that's definitely not being talked about as much as he should. But I think Traylon Burks comes into a team. Uh, it doesn't matter who, what team, who or what team it is. Uh, I think he might be uh, did a disservice if he's on a team with somebody who is already impactful in the role that he could fill. Uh, so maybe a team uh, last year that didn't really have that much depth at the wide receiver position, maybe possibly like a Detroit Lions, possibly get some young talent in on maybe a Jacksonville Jaguars type team. I don't, I don't really know, to be honest, every single person or every single team that is thinking right now they need to go wide receiver first. Uh, you can make a big board. You can do what Mel Kuyper does and, see, and, and tell everybody out there uh, via the media – uh, who is number one in terms of the leagues uh, or in terms of the positions out there if there's going to be a a need at wide receiver and if they're going to go with their first first round pick or first pick in general on one. But I think a team right now that needs a young spark uh, is definitely going to get something out of Traylon Burks. I think he's a great prospect. And I would honestly probably put him as my number one prospect at, at wide receiver coming out uh, of college this year. that That's basically the easiest way for me to say it, the most straight, short, sweet, and to the point. Uh, I would put Traylon Burks up there uh, because I think he, he has some secret talents uh, that maybe we haven't seen in terms of you just watching a football game with him playing at Arkansas. But I think that he has some sort of of, of talent uh, that we don't know about that's not broadcasted that's going to put him above maybe a bigger school uh, and and potentially a, a, a better player. He's going to put him right above them. So I, I really love Traylon Burks out of Arkansas. Next, we're going to talk about George Pickens, uh, University of Georgia Bulldog. Uh, he was injured last uh, Basically, all of this year came back for the last few games, uh, maybe two. I don't exactly know the exact number, uh, but I love George Pickens. Now, uh, there's a lot of comps out there right now from uh, uh, of comparing George Pickens to a Devontae Adams. I think those comps are a little unfair uh, based on the injuries that he's uh, he's gotten uh, while in college at Georgia, as well as Devontae Adams is the best route runner. I think that I've ever seen play actual football in an NFL game that I can remember. Devontae Adams, amazing player, runs the best routes. He's not the fastest guy, um, but it's like iconic of the the one, and I see it on Twitter all the time, Devontae Adams running a crossing route, the ball's thrown away, out of bounds, and he just counts all of the people that he drew on that play. It was either three or four defenders go right to him on every play. I think George Pickens has the ability at 6'3", 200, I think he has the ability uh, to maybe put on a little bit of muscle, maybe get to 6'3", 225, closer to a Traylon Burks-type body. And I think he has the ability to go out, and if he's able to adjust well in the NFL, I think he's going to be able to kind of kind of become the new version of Devontae Adams. Because by the time maybe you maybe he gets drafted this year, maybe first round, maybe early second round, uh, just a hypothetical. Uh, and then he's got a year to adjust. And then by that time, that's two more years for Devontae Adams. So he could possibly be the next up-and-comer when Devontae maybe starts to slip. Um, or or George Pickens on the other side of it, on the other side of the coin, uh, to start starts to really show everybody what his true talents are. 
And I think I think George Pickens definitely 100% has the ability to be Devontae Adams. Will he be able to run as crisp of routes? That is my question, as well as is he injury prone, especially if he's getting hurt in college and now how does that translate to the NFL? Does it translate well to the point where it's not actually well because he's going to be injured as much as he was in college? Or is he able to keep his body in check uh, and be able to go, go multiple years without some sort of serious injury. So that's always a question, not just for top wide receiver prospects in this draft, but for all football players in general. Whether you're a nose tackle, a long snapper, or a wide receiver, injury is always going to be part of something you're going to have to be worried about while you're in the league and playing in your prime. So that's something we're going to have to take a look at, but I love George Pickens. Uh, I definitely think that he has potential to maybe jump uh, some of the Ohio State wide receivers, maybe a Jamison Williams. Uh, some, I, I, the, I think his upside's high. And I think based on his size, which is what I love in a prospect, especially as in a, in a wide receiver prospect, I love the size and I love the route running. I could care less if you ran a 4.640, a 4.740. I don't care. I want you to run crisp routes and I want you to catch the football uh, because the amount of passes that need to be caught and ran straight uh, 80 yards down the field is not as often as you catching a clutch first down uh, a first down pass on third and 14 because you have good hands and you can run routes. So at the end of the day, that's what I think it comes down to. Uh, lastly, before we talk about the quarterbacks, because what would be a sports podcast if we were not talking about quarterbacks? Uh, it's a little bit sickening sometimes, but at the end of the day, I kind of get it. So let's talk about Kenneth Walker the third uh, out of Michigan State. A great running back prospect. I know uh, that he's not high on everybody's draft boards. He's high on some, uh, which means people see his upside. And I think the the, the Maurice Jones-Drew connection uh, to him, even though he's definitely not as heavy as him, uh, standing at 5'10", 210, uh, he's relatively short. However, I've watched a lot of Big Ten football in recent memory. Uh, and a lot more for me because I'd never watched college football growing up. I was not the biggest fan. Uh, all the games I ended up watching ended up being 62-3. to three. Uh, I guess I was just watching the wrong games. But my buddy Greg, shout out to you, Greg. I know you're probably going to listen to this. Uh, watches a lot of Penn State football. And I watched a lot of games with him. Uh, a few of those games were uh, Penn State against Michigan State. Uh, so I did see some of Kenneth Walker. Uh, he's a great player. Uh, but I really want to talk more, not about his comp to Maurice Jones-Drew, but about his work ethic. Uh, and I've seen multiple videos. I've seen stuff online about his coaches talking about it. Uh, this man's work ethic is is very good. And by very good, it's similar to maybe somebody at, in the newer age of football about Saquon Barkley, Derrick Henry, uh, releasing videos of working out. That is what Kenneth Walker's work ethic is described as via his coaches. This man lives, eats, and breathes football. He's able to run in multiple different styles of offenses, whether it be zone scheme, uh, running, or whether you just you go the way you go and the way you see. And his vision is good. And I've watched him on multiple games this past season. Uh, very good player. Uh, this year, 18 touchdowns on the ground, which is fantastic, especially for Michigan State, who really didn't have a quarterback to be able to to supply them with any type of spark. However, Kenneth Walker the third, definitely that spark. So I, I listen. I love a lot of the running backs in this draft. I don't think they're getting enough hype. 
Uh, because the running back position at the end of the day, uh, if you're being honest with yourself in the NFL, is getting lower. Uh, people are throwing more. We're going five wide with a running back off the field. It's just a lot of stuff that's happening in this newer generation of football with the younger head coaches, with the new I, the the new visionaries that are becoming coordinators, with, with the GMs that are that are basing a lot of their decisions on analytics. It, it, there's a lot of stuff out there, and the running back position is not the same as it was even five years ago, at better yet, ten years ago or even longer. So you're getting you're not getting running backs that are running 27 times a game unless you're the Tennessee Titans and Derrick Henry is your running back. So I loved Kenneth Walker as an ad uh, for any team that needs a a running back, especially between the tackles. This man runs great between the tackles, and I've I've seen it. He can bounce it outside, but he's got that big build. He's that stocky running back that you just it's third and three. I'm running the football, and you don't see that much any for, anymore in the NFL. But for it to be an option for whatever team he does get drafted by is definitely a plus. So any team out there, I mean, off the top of my head, uh, maybe the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, start think about selecting him uh, with their first round pick. I think he's a first round talent. Now running backs have been dropping. There's not a lot that have gone in the first round in the past, I think, two years. But I think it's worth throwing it out there because I don't think he loses much in his translation from college to the NFL. Now we move on to the quarterbacks. So I, I wrote down four quarterbacks. There's a million of them out there uh, that could possibly be drafted in this draft. But we're going to talk a little bit about the top four that I have. And these are in no order. Just when I noticed them uh, via whatever sports podcast I was listening to, via NFL news, uh, vlogs that I've watched and or blogs that I've read. So uh, these are in no particular order. Uh, but the QBs are very interesting this year because there's a lot of stigmas. Uh, and this is not is considered not the best QB draft. And uh, listen, I get it, but there's been drafts before where people considered uh, the quarterbacks being selected as subpar, and they ended up creating Hall of Famers. And and it it happens. It happens in sports. It happens in, in more sports than just football. Let me tell you that. Uh, it happens in golf. It happens in hockey. It happens in basketball. So uh, first, let's talk about Kenny Pickett. Now, Kenny Pickett is your typical. Your sorry, your typical quarterback that's going to sit in the pocket. Uh, he's going to deliver you a good throw. Forty-two touchdowns and seven interceptions last season at Pitt. Uh, he's your big. He's your big-bodied quarterback. Six-three, two-twenty. Uh, he has this thing that is now being a negative uh, moving forward. Apparently, in the NFL, with quarterbacks having small hands. I don't know how I quite feel about this random thing that has now been a problem for two years. Michael Vick had some really small hands. He could rifle the ball very far down the field. And everybody out there is going to be like, well, Michael Vick played most of his career in Atlanta, so he played in a dome. He played at Philly. He played in Pittsburgh. So, listen, I don't have any correlation that I believe that small-handed quarterbacks can't throw the football. There's been small quarterbacks that have been able to throw the football very far down the field and accurate. So I don't think the small hands, the bad weather comp may be legitimate, but the bad weather comp is not as legitimate as people are making it seem because everybody plays worse in bad weather, except for maybe Aaron Rodgers. And even Aaron Rodgers plays even a little bit worse if it's snowing and or pouring down rain and the field is crap in Lambeau. So... 
I don't think that the small hands comp is legitimate, really. If you ask me to the core, I, I don't care how big his hands are. Uh, let me watch him. Uh, let me watch him play against competition. Let me watch him do basically anything but run the 40 is basically what I'm saying. So I like Kenny Pickett. Now he's been linked to Pittsburgh, which would be ironic considering uh, that he went to the University of Pittsburgh. Uh, so at, uh, listen, I Mike Tomlin with a Kenny Pickett type, big quarterback, it's almost like he's trying, if they go out and actually draft Kenny Pickett, it's almost like they're trying to replace Roethlisberger with a skinnier version of Roethlisberger. And, and and he's, listen, Kenny Pickett can shed a tackle or two. He's not going to be out there running like Lamar Jackson. But he can evade, uh, evade enough to maybe get you two first downs uh, with coverage down the field and maybe nobody on the quarterback is able to run for 10 to 12 yards. I like the way Kenny Pickett played this season. Now, I the small comps, if you're at the top of the totem pole or you're close to the top, somebody's going to try and get you down. Uh, and that's basically what I think the media is doing with the whole small hands, bad weather comp. I don't, uh, listen, I don't I don't support it. I understand it, but I don't support it, uh, which is the biggest part of me trying to dig through some of these articles and some of these podcasts that I listen to. I can understand a lot of aspects and a lot of views on a lot of topics. I don't have to agree with you. But I can understand where you're coming from. I get the point uh, of it being basically uh, you trying to hedge your bet by having a bigger quarterback with bigger hands so that he has a better chance of not fumbling the football. Um, but there was a, a there was a, an article posted on Twitter that I read. I think it was either yesterday or the day before or the day previous. Uh, but Dak Prescott lost the most fumbles, and I think he has the biggest hands in the league. So I, there's no direct link. I don't think the weather's an issue. You're, you're, I get you're playing in Pittsburgh if he were to be drafted by Pittsburgh. I guess anytime you have a quarterback that's going to play outside for more than half of their games, I guess it's going to be something you consider at the end of the day, but I don't think it's a reason you don't draft Kenny Pickett. Next on the quarterback carousel of draft picks, uh, draft prospects, I guess you could say, is Malik Willis out of Liberty. Now, Malik Willis is your typical is your typical Lamar Jackson type player. Uh, he is he is able to run the football. He's relatively mobile. Uh, there's two comps out there, and one of them's really fair, and the other one's really not. So uh, one of the comps is Lamar Jackson, which I think that Malik Willis is not even close to, uh, considering his attempts at running the football and his success at running the football versus what Lamar Jackson did at Louisville. I watched a lot of Louisville football because uh, ever since the Vikings drafted Teddy Bridgewater, I, I feel like I need to watch Louisville football. Don't ask me why. I'm an LSU fan, technically, uh, if, if, if you if you get to the nitty-gritty. But I, I, listen, I don't... I don't agree with the Lamar Jackson comp. My comp that I would give to to Malik Willis is is Trey Lance. It's a raw thrower of the football in a in a relatively non-competitive league that he came from or division that he came from in college football. I think he's a bit of a raw prospect. Now, I think his upside is super high, similar to Lamar Jackson, and I still think the the ceiling is relatively high for, for Trey Lance as well. But I think the comp that you need to give him is going to be actually where he came from, what happened in college, and how good he was as a playmaker. And that's what Trey Lance was also in a smaller school-type uh, atmosphere when he was at North Dakota. So it's it's... 
it's it's a little bit weird. I don't agree with the with the Lamar Jackson comp. Lamar Jackson's made a lot of positive things out of his time in Baltimore since he was drafted. But I don't think that Malik Willis's ability to throw the football accurately in the way Lamar Jackson has done it, even this season when he wasn't hurt. I think Lamar Jackson has made the the positive move uh, toward the up arrow, so to speak. And I think Malik Willis is similar to a Trey Lance type situation where a, a, a quarterback not expected to be amazing year one. Uh, but his development is very important for him to be a game changer uh, early in his career for sure, but possibly into uh, the prime of his career. Next on the list, Matt Corral out of Ole Miss, uh, six foot, 200 pounds, uh, and that's apparently a bit generous compared to some people I've seen that were at uh, the actual combine right now and looked at him. He's, they, everyone's saying he looks uh, a bit small. I like Matt Corral. Uh, the injuries that he's occurred, and especially the injury he occurred in the bowl game, uh, the last game of his career in college, uh, is definitely a bit of a concern for me. I- I've never been the biggest Matt Corral fan. I- I've seen him make throws. They're they're questionable. His decision-making is a bit questionable. If you had to at- tie me down and ask me for a comp, I would probably say Zach Wilson. Uh, they're probably very similar, honestly, uh, in terms of what decisions they make, how they throw the football, and possibly even based on Zach Wilson's first year in the NFL out of BYU. Uh, they're basically the similar in terms of injury proneness as well. I'm not sure if proneness is a word, but add that to the list of words I've created on this podcast. So Matt Corral, is he mobile? Is he not? Uh, he was more mobile, I think, earlier in his career at Ole Miss. I think there was a bit of a either style change in their offense or the fact that he's injury prone as it is caused them to stop. We're, te- we're basically telling Ole Miss uh, as a football team to stop letting him run because he's going to get hurt, uh, which makes leads me to believe that when he does get to the NFL, which w- he will be drafted, but when he does get to the NFL, he's not going to be very mobile. Uh, smaller quarterback, not so mobile. Reminds me of Kirk Cousins, honestly, if I'm going to be real. Uh, reminds me of Kirk Cousins. Big stage, big game. Uh, can't really come through as much as you think that he should. Uh, so the Kirk Cousins comp is out there. That's just for me personally. I haven't even, I haven't even seen that anywhere else. Um, but the Kirk Cousins comp is crazy. I, I agree with it uh, just based on what I see year in and year out for the past three to four years uh, that I've watched Kirk Cousins on my own Minnesota Vikings team. Um, but that's 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 basically what it comes down to. Who's willing to take the chance? Who's not? And that's what the draft is about. So uh, those are some of the comps. Or, sorry, not even comps, but I guess there's a lot of people who had comps out there. But uh, that, those are some of the prospects I'm looking at going into the draft. Uh, I'll take a, di- a deeper dig maybe uh, on our next podcast, which will be next week, uh, probably Tuesday or Wednesday, to be honest with you. But I'll take a, di- a, uh, a big deep dig, so to speak. Damn, words are hard. Uh, on some of the defensive guys out there that could have an impact, whether it be pass rush, um, 
linebacker, weak side linebacker, strong safety, free safety, some corners as well. So I'll take a look at some defensive guys as well. But those are the those are the guys that I'm looking at and kind of maybe a little bit of as to why or what type of team would want to pick them based on pros and cons because there's always cons on every prospect. Even if you have a prospect like Trevor Lawrence, there's clearly cons in his in his uh, portfolio, so to speak, uh, going from even high school all the way through college. So let's hop right in. Uh, we did the AFC on our last pod. We're going to do the NFC now. How wrong was I? Uh, basically, my picks, uh, I'll go through it again. Basically, my picks from earlier this season, before the season even started, uh, gave my picks on every team in the NFL, where they, or sorry, every team in the NFC, uh, and what I predicted them to do and what they actually did and kind of some of the reasons why I was either off or really close. So let's start in in the NFC East, my, my hometown division, so to speak, in eastern Pennsylvania. Uh, so I picked the Commanders at 10 and 7, uh, the Giants at 9 and 8, the Cowboys at 7 and 10, and the Eagles at 4 and 13. Uh, this was my worst division in terms of projections as well. So the actual records in the same order were the Commanders at 7 and 10, the Giants at 4 and 13, the Cowboys at 12 and 5, and the Eagles at 9 and 8. So I had two teams, uh, the Cowboys and the Eagles, uh, both of them I had off by five wins and five losses on the money. Uh, that's pretty bad, to be honest with you. Uh, some of the stuff that I saw saw me basically picking uh, the Cowboys to implode at some point during the season, uh, and I thought that was going to carry through most of the season. They got a lot out of the two-headed monster that I didn't think existed. Uh, I thought Zeke was going to get a lot more touches. I thought he was going to be healthy, and I thought he was going to have a good season. But I didn't think that they were going to be able to throw the ball as effectively based on what Dak was coming off of uh, and his injury, uh, which clear, clearly was not the case of them winning 12 games and not seven. Uh, but the Eagles are a whole nother story. Uh, and shout out to Dave out there, my buddy, Eagles fan, longtime Eagles fan, um, goes to a lot of Eagles games, a lot. Uh, he's probably the biggest Eagles fan I've ever met. Uh, and if you guys know anything about me, not the biggest fan of the Philadelphia Eagles, uh, but Dave's a good guy. He's a good fan. I love his impact and his input uh, in our football conversations. But listen, I, same thing I told you, Dave, I'm going to tell everybody here. The Eagles defense outperformed anything I expected, uh, even them losing key pieces of it throughout the season. And what we and what I've talked about multiple times that I really agree with and that Dave and I really agree with when we talk about it, Nick Sirianni coached them to nine wins with Jalen Hurts, who clearly is not ready to be a starting NFL quarterback based on what was known of him before this season started. He took command of the offense. They tailored the offense towards him, and he was able to make a decent amount of good plays versus bad plays. Like like Jalen Hurts right now, if if teams called every team called the Eagles right now asking about Jalen Hurts, I bet you more than half the league would be excited to have him on their team, whether it be in a backup spot or whether it be in a starting position at quarterback. I think I think Jalen Hurts is a decent player. Uh, I think I don't think he's ready to be big time yet. I don't think he's ready to make that next step. 
But if he's in an offense the way Nick Sirianni created uh, for him, basically, to be successful, I think he's able to get things done. He did have a lot of really big flop games. Uh, and and I've talked to multiple people at work about Jalen Hurts and how bad his bad games are. Uh, but his good games that they won were just as good. So I'm kind of on the fence about Jalen Hurts. We're going to have to see if he can make some adjustments whether that be the team itself adjusting the offense a bit or him just getting better as a pocket passer because him as a pocket passer is a joke. He, he can't throw the ball in the pocket. He's inaccurate. He can't throw the ball deep down the field accurately either. Uh, so it's a, a bit of a... It's a bit of a faux pas to your offense if your quarterback can't throw the ball in the pocket deep down the field accurately. It's one of the most important things to being a quarterback. So there's people that I know that are on the fence of get Jalen Hurts out of Philadelphia. And there's also people that are out there that are like, hey, let's keep them and see what we can do with them. Uh, Which is basically what they said about their offense uh, as a whole. So, uh, listen, uh, I was off by those two by a lot. I was also off by the Commanders and the Giants, who I had in at the number one and number two uh, position in their division, respectively. The Giants imploded uh, due to Joe Judge and the fact that their team was so inconsistent all season. There's no possible way they could even they could ever gel. You would have the offense play decently, the defense play terribly. Uh, next game, uh, you fast forward, you would have the offense play terribly and the defense play terribly. Or the last situation, uh, you would have the offense play mediocre, and then you'd have the defense play absolutely terrible. Uh, and, and all of the all of that in in a giant machine spits out four and thirteen. Uh, they didn't get along with 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 Joe Judge. I I don't know. I don't know what to I don't know what to make of it. I wasn't the biggest fan of Joe Judge because I said you don't know how to talk to millennials. You guys can go way back in the feed and see some of the stuff that I said about Joe Judge and when we talked about these divisional recaps before the season even started. I you don't talk to millennials the way Joe Judge coaches. You just don't. And you don't get anything out of them. I'm not saying it's not productive. I'm not saying it's not a good way to coach, but for most of the Giants roster you're talking to millennials uh which means if you make them run laps or you make them run more or you try and punish them they're going to rebel and not give a shit as nicely as i can say that and that's exactly what happened uh it didn't work out it's completely different now uh their new head coach it's going to be completely the the new coaching staff the new head coach is going to be completely different and to talk about the commanders a bit uh formerly the washington football team formerly formerly the redskins they need a quarterback, and their defense needs to be more consistent. At the end of the season, their defense played well. At the beginning of the season, they played terribly and lost big games. And I don't think Taylor Heineke is the answer. They need to go out and address the quarterback position. They have decent weapons on offense. And scary Terry McLaurin, uh, the guy Curtis Samuel, will probably be healthy this year, assuming he doesn't leave. And Antonio Gibson. And based on one of my former podcasts, possibly Christian McCaffrey. Uh, if he's if he leaves Carolina, they're linking him to the Washington football team slash commanders. So they have some things to address. Now, I'm obviously going to do divisional recaps every year now because I started the bot this podcast in June. I'm going to stick to doing the same stuff that works and the same stuff you guys want to hear, which I know you guys want me to predict the, the next upcoming NFL season. So let's see how it changes moving forward. Uh, and depending on what these teams do in the draft and do in free agency, it, they may look completely different. 
Next, we'll go to the NFC South. I had the Buccaneers going 13 and 4, the Falcons going 18, or sorry, 8 and 9. Uh, I had the Saints going 7 and 10, and the Panthers going 6 and 11. Actual, actual records from this season are the Bucks 13 and 4. I hit that one right on the money. The Falcons 7 and 10, the Saints 7 and 10. Sorry, the Saints 9 and 8, and the Panthers uh, 5 and 12. So I wasn't too far off on this division, honestly. Hit the Bucks straight on the head. Tom Brady's there. You're going to win a decent amount of games. Their offense did take some injury hits. Their defense started to get hurt uh, at the beginning of the season. Uh, and throughout the season, they missed a lot of key pieces for a few weeks. Uh, but I was right on at 13-4. and four. I knew Tom Brady wasn't going to give up, even though it ended up being his last season in the NFL in quotation marks. We don't know if he's going to come back. There's a lot of stuff out there. I think Tom Brady stays retired. I don't think he comes back. There's not a chance in hell he comes back or the Bucks let him uh, or any other team, honestly, for not a very pretty penny. But the the Falcons, very close there. Uh, I thought the offense was going to struggle, but I didn't think Cordell Patterson was going to have the impact he did this year um, as a running back and as a wide receiver. Uh, so I, it seems like teams, whoever picks up Cordero Patterson, I know he's played for, wow, I know he's played for at least four teams since the Vikings, uh, in the Raiders, Patriots, Bears, and there's at least one, and the Falcons, so that's four teams right there that he's played for since he was a Minnesota Viking a few years back, um, but I didn't think that he was going to have as much of an impact in the, on the offense. And for them to actually use him, similar if not more than Mike Davis, an actual running back, is pretty amazing to watch. Uh, but Matt Ryan's decline is real. People need to admit that it's real. Uh, his cap hit is very high this year. Uh, the Falcons are in a similar position position as the Minnesota Vikings, uh, except a little bit of a harder pos- uh, position because Matt Ryan is way better than Kirk Cousins has ever been. Uh, so it's going to be very interesting uh, to see what happens with Matt Ryan. Uh, moving forward, but I was pretty close on the Falcons, the Saints, and the Panthers. Uh, the Panthers' quarterback carousel that they went through all season caused them to only get five wins. Uh, Sam Darnold, awful. Uh, we've seen the Sam Sam Darnold experiment, which I've called it multiple times on this podcast. Uh, we've seen it; it's not good. Uh, he's not a good player. He's not going to be a number one starter. He, he's not going to go and make an impact. It just seems like. Uh, he's nervous and anxious when he throw, tries to throw the football. Cam Newton washed up. I love Cam Newton, uh, but he's got to stop trying to be a quarterback, at least a starting quarterback in the NFL. I get you tried to do your whole, I'm going to go out a Panther because I was a Panther and I was an MVP. I get it, uh, but you weren't good this year, dude. And then P.J. Walker, XFL star, AFL star, whatever you want to call it, whatever league he played for. Uh, he's not an NFL quarterback either. Inaccurate. Uh, tries to run the football too much. Had a fumbling issue uh, for multiple games that he started. So, not good for the Panthers. Uh, Saints lost Sean Payton at, at head coach, uh, which is going to be very interesting to see who, who uh, we know who, but how they re- react uh, and how they move forward off of Sean Payton, who's been there for d- what seems like decades. Uh, and and at the quarterback position, uh, they've lost two things that they've had as a constant uh, in the last decade. They, they now are trying to play with neither of both. Uh, so they don't have the head coach that's been there, and they don't have the quarterback that's been there. 
So it's going to be interesting to see what the Saints do moving forward. Uh, not too far off in this division. Actually pretty impressed with myself. Moving on to the NFC West. Uh, I had the Rams at 12 and 5, the Seahawks at 10 and 7, the 49ers at 8 and 9, and the Cardinals at 8 and 9. Uh, this one was off by a bit. I knew this was going to be a competitive division, but just did not know have the right teams in the right spot. Uh, so in the same order, the Rams 12 and 5, second one uh, that I hit straight up right on the money. Uh, and then the Seahawks 7 and 10, 49ers 10 and 7, and the Cardinals 11 and 6. Interesting. We'll start at the bottom. Uh, the Cardinals and the 49ers were very interesting. Now, I didn't think that the Arizona Cardinals were going to figure it out as a team, uh, which is why I had them 8-9, and nine, which is not a terrible record uh, for me to project them at. Uh, but Kyler played very well, uh, at the, especially at the beginning of the season. They were the best team through 10 weeks in the NFL, uh, which was good. Uh, they got a lot of production out of their free agent signings at wide receiver, as well as James Conner being amazing, not only on the field for their football team, but also in fantasy. And a lot of people hit me up right after the season about how much James Conner has helped their fantasy team, and I did not see that one coming. Um, but the Cardinals are going to try and figure it out. we got drama with Kyler Murray all over the internet right now. Uh, if you guys want to read about that, look it up. Honestly, I've talked about it once on this podcast already. I just want to see what happens. Uh, I'm kind of sick of reading all the he, the he said, she said uh, on the internet, and people are talking about it a lot. So you have an opportunity uh, to go out there and, and make the opinion that you kind of want to make about Kyler Murray and whether he's a good team player or not. But the 49ers were a big, big change for what I expected. I thought their defense was going to give up a lot this season, and their offense was going to be sputtering. Uh, and their defense played very well, minus the corners, for most of the season. And their offense was great. Uh, with Jimmy G being the starter basically all season except for, I think, one and a half games uh, that Trey Lance actually played. We got to see Trey Lance, uh, which I didn't expect, honestly, um, at the beginning of this season. I thought Trey was going to sit too raw. Kyle Shanahan at head coach. I thought Jimmy G was going to get most... Most of the reps, if not all of them, uh, which is basically what happened. And I thought Trey was just going to sit back and learn uh, and then give him a whole year to sit. And then he would come in and start this year. A lot of the Jimmy Garoppolo news right now of him coming out saying that he's having surgery, which is true on his shoulder. He's not going to be able to throw till about 4th of July, maybe a little bit before. Hurts his trade value. Uh, it also hurts the 49ers who... Uh, want to make a decision on him and not pay him $7.5 million while he's hurt, uh, which is, I think, his signing or roster bonus uh, as of a certain date. Don't really exactly know what date that is. Uh, but uh, their offense with Debo Samuel, uh, uh, Eli Mitchell uh, at running back was amazing this season. Uh, Brandon Ayuk slow start but ended up kicking it up at the end of the season. George Kittle had a, a very not good year compared to George Kittle's statistics. Uh, he was hurt. Uh, so we can put a little bit on that. But uh, Ayuk and Debo Samuel did most of the heavy lifting at the wide receiver position. Uh, with Eli Mitchell, uh, who did well, especially when he wasn't hurt, it seems like the 49ers have the most injuries every year, which is crazy to think about. Uh, and, and not understanding why or if it's just unlucky that they do have the most injuries. But uh, that's that. those two teams were a bit of a surprise for me. Now, we talk about Seattle. And Seattle basically didn't get the, the three wins they needed for me to be right because Russell was hurt. for Russell Wilson was hurt for a decent amount of the year. 
He had that injury, looked bad for a few games after he came back, and then started to cook up a little bit, uh, maybe against inferior competition. But it's it's very odd uh, what's happening in Seattle. I want to just wait and see what shakes out before I come out with any hot takes about what happens in Seattle. Uh, but Russell Wilson, whether he stays or leaves, it seems like the the what happens in the media is just back and forth constantly. So I'm as confused about Aaron Rodgers as I am about Russell Wilson. Uh, but let's talk about the Super Bowl winning L.A. Rams. Matt Stafford and, and the organization as an L.A. Rams front office organization, they 100% made the correct trade in getting Matt Stafford to, to L.A. He needed a change of scenery. He needed a team that had solid weapons. And even when he, they didn't have those solid weapons, they went out and got him. And especially in Odell Beckham Jr. Van Jefferson, great receiver, respect the guy. Backup tight ends, tight ends on the Rams, respect them all. But Odell Beckham Jr. was a game changer since they picked him up. He had a, sl- a bit of a slow start, maybe two to three games when he first got acquired. But he made he ended up being the difference in a lot of those football games. He ended up being the difference in a lot of those football games. And that he's one of the reasons that they were able to make it as far as they made it and eventually win the championship. All right, last division is my own current division because I'm a Minnesota Vikings fan. Uh, the NFC North. Uh, I had the Packers going 11-6. and six. Uh, the Vikings going 11 and 6, the Bears going 7 and 10, and the Lions going 4 and 13. Interestingly enough, I was right in this order. And it was the only division that I had this order 100% correct uh, without any flaws. Uh, and yes, there's a tie in there, but I if the Vikings and Packers, if I projected them both to have the same wins and losses, uh, the Packers are winning the tie break. So the actual results from this season in the NFC North, Packers 13 and 4, Vikings 8 and 9, Bears 6 and 11, and the Lions 3, 13 and 1. Bears and Lions, uh, two teams definitely in a developmental stage of their of their organizations, uh, only off by one game each and a half a game if you count a tie as a half. Uh, for the Lions, I like the Lions fight. I've talked about it on a lot of game recaps on this podcast multiple times. They fight in football games for Dan Campbell. People laughed at Dan Campbell when his opening press conference, uh, when he was named head coach, they laughed at him. Uh, they basically thought that he was going to make this team a joke, and guess what? Their roster wasn't good, uh, but they fought in a lot of games, and they were in a lot of close games this season. Uh, and the Bears, the same situation. They lost a, a step on defense their offensive playmakers were subpar and or hurt, as well as Justin Fields as a developmental player this season caused them to only win six games. Not really surprised there at those two teams. Um, and I'm not going to bore you with a lot of Viking stakes in this, even though I probably could. Um, but the Packers and the Vikings, uh, the Packers played well all season. Can't take anything away from them. Uh, Aaron Rodgers BS in the offseason. Uh, Aaron Rodgers BS in the middle of the season and all his drama towards the end of the season does not take away from the fact that they played amazing on defense. Uh, and I know I talk about the Titans a lot about uh, a defense that's overperformed what expectations presented, uh, but the Packers did that as well as equally or if not better. Uh, the Packers defense played well with not a lot of big names in there uh, and all of their big names were hurt for most of the season. Listen, I, the Packers played decent on defense, and they missed a lot of key pieces. 
Um, but their defensive coordinator and that organization got the most out of depth uh, at each position on defense. That's the way it went. And and honestly, I'm, I wasn't too surprised. They typically play well at home. I expected their defense to play well at home. What I didn't expect was them to hold people to 10, 13 points a game, uh, especially with all of their big big-name players getting hurt. And the Minnesota Vikings underachieved not only because former head coach Mike Zimmer, this defense was bottom five in every category, bottom six, bottom five to eight in every category on defense. They had a lot of injuries. They tried to fight through it. It didn't work out. This year's a new year. Coaching staff completely wiped. Uh, they're gonna be, there's gonna be losses at, in free agency. There's gonna be gains in free agency. There's gonna be a huge difference in how players are drafted uh, based on the coaches and the the front office people that were hired uh, to change the Minnesota Vikings and make them relevant. So uh, listen, I was off by a few wins, and by a few I mean three. Uh, but that's because we didn't win big games at all. And not only did we not win big games, but we lost a lot of close games. And I've seen a lot of that as a Vikings fan, especially in the last five years. Vikings don't typically ever get blown out, and it's always close, even with bad teams. Play, they play down to their competition, and they play up to the competition in, for better teams. So it, it just it's, a, it's hit or miss. It's hard to judge. Uh, but I'm excited for what may happen and who we go after in free agency, the draft, and possibly via trade. All right, guys, that is the end of How Wrong Was I, the duo podcast. Uh, last one revealed, or sorry, I guess not revealed, released uh, on Wednesday night. Uh, this one on Friday, March 4th. Definitely going to dig some more into some NFL stuff. Uh, got some work behind the scenes uh, on su- on stuff that may take this podcast to the next level. I'm hoping it does. Uh, so please tune in, check the feed, make sure if you missed an episode, go back and listen to it. Uh, Because I appreciate you all out there listening to my podcast. I appreciate it so much. I cannot even describe it. So remember, uh, follow me on Twitter at AllInManCavePod. Add me on Facebook, Colehate, C-O-L-E-H-A-Y, D as in dog, T as in Tom. And just share the the podcast, whether it be via social media or via word of mouth. Uh, That's all I ever ask of you guys. Uh, Keep an eye on the NFL news. We'll talk about it next week, either Tuesday or Wednesday. I will talk to you then. I hope everybody has a stress-free, wonderful weekend. And I'll talk to you next week. And as I always say, later. Later.